afternoon, happy Monday, and welcome back to Spinning Around with Harley Minogue, the new show on Area 3000 that's airing every single Monday from 3pm. I'm your host, Harley Minogue, and wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you for tuning in to our airwaves today for another conversation and mix with dance music's latest and greatest. Before we begin, I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, the Wurundjeri people. Your past, present, and future relationship with the land is acknowledged and shall be respected now and forever. For all the non-Mob Victorians out there, if you have a moment, please consider making a donation to pay the rent or the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and help the wonderful folks that provide the much-needed resources for our mob today. This week, my guest is a local powerhouse in the scene, whose name is well known for all the right reasons among many of our DJ brethren in NAM today. She's truly an appreciator of music and takes genuine care of our scene, which she knows like the back of her hand, being the music coordinator at both the Gasometer Hotel and the Retreat in Brunswick. She's also played regularly at many of Melbourne's most beloved venues, such as XC54, Evelyn Hotel, Rooftop Bar, The Toff, Gerns, and even Unz Unz. She's released her new track, Bot Energy, with Love Above Records, which was the opening track to our show today, and it is a wonderful display of all the things she's learnt and loved in music throughout the years. A DJ, producer, drummer, mentor, and stalwart of the city we love, my guest is none other than the New Zealand-born Georgia Ferry, a.k.a. Baby G. Hey, Georgia. Welcome to the show. Very kind words. Thank you, Jay. Really appreciate that. No, of course. Of course. I do mean every single one. How have things been? Uh, what have you been up to recently? Things have been great. Um, it's funny trying to get back into work after a, a long year of... Um, what feels like twiddling my thumbs, even though I know, you know, did a few things. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, it's the still easing back into all my old processes and um, trying to find that routine again that's been, you know, a bit of a funny time. It sounds like it's a huge role that you're taking on, especially for two venues at once as well. Yeah, so I do I, – I I'm not the primary booker over at the retreat, but um, okay. I, I do help out with bookings there. Um, they've got a beautiful, beautiful booking team, um, so very lucky to also be involved uh, in everything they do. But yeah, across the venues have a great relationship and it's yeah, it's a it's a real honor to be to be at the forefront of some of those bookings. I do want to talk about the guest summer. You did mention twiddling your thumbs. And I do remember there was a very interesting time um around the start of COVID where the gasometer was up for sale. Yeah. And there was a changing of hands. What was your position during that whole exchange and can you reveal anything about it yeah absolutely i think it's um it's a conversation that i've been having a lot um as we've come out of lockdown mm. you know everyone's sort of wondering what's going on um so i'm more than happy to shed some light on the situation thank you as that first lockdown came through obviously very hard for a lot of venues and a lot of industries um and so there was a lot of weighing up to be done um you know certain landlords had certain deals with <laughs> certain certain venues um right and I just don't think our owners saw it sort of viable to to continue at the time mm. um, as things were looking pretty grim and we had no idea when we were going to get out of it, particularly when that second wave came. Yeah. That was even more discouraging. Um, so, look, I, I do not blame um, <laughs> do not blame the owners for wanting to, to you know, look at other options. Yeah, um, of course. So, from what I remember, a sale came close um, and as that second wave hit, um, those buyers pulled out oh my goodness um so that's what happened there um but then we picked up our momentum again and things have been really good since we re reopened our doors we've had a sort of fresh outlook in terms of bookings and uh what direction the venue wants to go in um but breaking news the venue's actually about to be sold um to new owners no way um, wow so this is yeah I'm, I'm happy to say this now because it's, holy um, shit it's this becoming is, common knowledge this slowly. is breaking news on the spinning around show <laughs> right here on area 3000 you heard it here folks this is crazy news when's this happening? Hope, I, hope i don't get in trouble um oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no so this uh it's a matter of matter of weeks wow. um before it goes to the new owners but look nothing nothing too crazy is changing it is simply a change of ownership so, right um how does that affect your role um going into this new ownership yeah look i'm just going to keep doing everything i can and try and fight for the things that i love um the most my you know those those parties that have worked their absolute asses off over the years um oh, yeah. to create something amazing um so i'll push for everything i believe in um, is it a bit of a fight i mean is there a pushback between yourself and the ownership a lot look i wouldn't say so it's all been all been fine so far um you know it's it's still very much in the discussion phase and uh 
you know, trying to figure out what direction these new owners want to go and what vision they have for the venue. Mm. Um, and without giving away too much, uh, the owners um, are in the punkier scene of Melbourne's oh, music industry, I see. Um, which is great. Yeah. Which I think is a great thing for the venue, and it's it's a it's a community that the venue's always loved having through its doors. Mm. Um, so look, I think if we can meet in the middle, things are going to be really good. Wow, that's really interesting to know because nowadays, um, from what I've heard and from what I've seen. Um, a lot of the bookings that have been going on in the significant venues have generally been electronically based and ele- electronically focused, um, whereas a lot of organic music, I suppose you could call it, mm-hmm. um, from back before COVID times has sort of taken a bit of a backstage role. Mm. How do you feel about that? Yeah, for sure. I think um, a little bit of insight from the Gasso's perspective um, in this sort of uprising of, well, not uprising, but, you know, uh, more electronic music rather than live events. Um, purely for us, that was because we could get more capacity and more people through the door having a DJ. Mm-hmm. That actually gave us a little bit of a loophole to have more more patrons in the venue. Um, um. And people would stay for longer. You have more of a turnover of crowd, particularly if you're running free events. Um, so it just makes it a little bit more worth it for the venue. But I got to say, it was it was a hard time sort of accepting that we weren't going to be able to do as many live events yeah. uh, as we could in the past because you know live music is. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love it. You know, just as much as I do DJ events. So. Um, and that's been the thing with the Gasso for a long time is it's always had a diverse sort of range of genres um, come through its doors. And so to be sort of more on one side was quite hard. Um, but I do understand other venues sort of moving towards the electronic tip yeah. uh, purely because uh, it just, yeah, it means a bit more, a bit more bar taking for the venue, um, keeps, keeps the lifeblood flowing a little bit longer. I know that you are also a drummer in a band called Tuck Shop. <laughs> um, so you do partake in live music yourself as well. Um, I'm wondering, from your perspective, where does your preference lie in between performing live or even seeing a live band versus DJing slash seeing a DJ? I think I'm right in the middle. Wow. Um, I've had this, I had this internal battle with myself, you know, trying to <laughs> pick a side, but then realised you don't need to pick a side. And um, I think they both... They're both incredible. They're both very different experiences. Um, and it's a real special moment when they can meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Live electronic is like, you know, the best. Um, but I think they're different in terms of, I don't know, I feel like at an electron, at a, at a DJ event, you can let your hair down a little bit more, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. run around like a little, like a little gremlin <laughs> um, and just express yourself a little bit more. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like a lot of the live music I go to, um, it's to see someone I've been following for a long time mm. or to see, um, yeah, it's it's almost more of a social thing for me to go and connect with those bands and it's very, you know, related and um, sort of connected to venue booking as well. So I don't know if I've put the work hat on too much <laughs> in terms of live music, but I would say going to see um, a great le- lineup of DJs, uh, it's almost more about the atmosphere in the venue. It's that culture, isn't it? Like It is. It totally is, yeah. It's something that's almost incomparable to any other scene nowadays in terms of um, the sort of people that congregate, all the subcultures that are sort of branching off from this main umbrella of electronic music as well. I mean, what I'd like to know for yourself sure. is what, what's your favourite live gig that you've been to so far in your entire life? This is... A huge question, and I know that whatever comes out of my mouth, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and be like, no, it wasn't that, it was this. But <laughs> um, I'll give you one of my more memorable experiences. Um, please, please do. I would say this was sort of around the time that I started working in the music industry mm-hmm. um, and got my first free ticket to a show through um, – you know, an internship at, at Warner Brothers oh, at, yes, at Warner Music. Yes. Um, so I was feeling, you know, very like I'd reached a sort of milestone and very happy. And that was to go and see Saint Germain um, oh, wow. live at the Forum, which you know the Forum is one of my favourite venues of the time. I just think it's beautiful, and um, seeing them live, yeah, sort of grew up listening to them. Um, and so they were just yeah super powerful, but also had that like electronic jazzy element to it as well mm. so was it you know there's a lot going on with that band and a lot to see on stage nothing um, beats that ceiling as well doesn't oh, it it's just like being taken somewhere else i'll you know <laughs> 
always appreciate that venue so much. It's beautiful. Um, but yeah, so I think it was sort of where I was in my life at the time that definitely contributed to the overall experience being <laughs> super special. Um, but yeah, definitely one of my favorites. What, what year was this? Um, do you remember? 2015. Because you said that time in your life. I want to ask you, yes. what was that time in your life? What was going on? So what was I was the 2015 Georgia day? 2015 Georgia was uh, studying music industry at RMIT, just a Bachelor of Arts. Um, very, very new to Melbourne at the time, mm-hmm. trying to find my feet. I had taken on this this first internship. Um, don't think I'd touch DJ decks at this point in my life. Um, so it was very, yeah. Very open to trying a lot of things and uh, meeting a lot of people. Very, very fresh-faced and keen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was your first impression of Melbourne having moved here for the first time? Just, just totally different to – because I lived in Singapore before Melbourne. So, um, look, just just culturally, socially, so different. Um, very, very easygoing. Not such a – like, in my time in Singapore, there was always a bit of – pressure in the air and a bit of tension and kind of like a rat race vibe like. yeah a bit of rat race like couldn't mm. couldn't step out of line um but Ooh. when i got to melbourne it was a little bit more like right i'm ready to go and um trying to say something that doesn't sound overly <laughs> cliche <laughs> find myself no um well look yeah. i'll bring you out of that trap <laughs> thank you <laughs> i was actually aware of the fact that you lived in singapore for a while because i came across a particular video on youtube Oh, God. Um, and it was <laughs> oh, a no. drum cover on the YouTube channel Drum School of a cover you did of Lighthouse's <laughs> Hanging by a Moment. Do you remember that? Oh, God. You've done your research. Amazing to see. <laughs> and I did not think I would hear about that video ever again in my life. That was I mean, a, it was <laughs> a great cover. It was a great cover. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, yes, I, that, that video was actually very special to me. I was, you know just sort of picking up the drums and um, my drum teacher came to me and said, look, I want to record a video. And I was like, oh, cool. Like I had no idea about recording drums or, you know, audio equipment. And I was just like, this is the coolest thing ever. And sent it around, mm. sent it around to all my friends at school. Um, and was actually really interested in the whole idea of like drum covers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which if you've done your research, you might find. Georgia <laughs> Ariana, <laughs> another channel full of drum cover greatness <laughs> with covers of AWOL Nations, Sale, Coldplay's Clocks. Man, that's just a fucking throwback to the past. But thank you so much for blessing us with I that. I don't think I've felt so exposed in my life, <laughs> but I love it. And someone needed to say something at some point. <laughs> yeah, when you look back on it, how do you feel when you watch those videos? Do you still watch those videos? I, I, honestly, I don't even I don't even remember my password for my, for my YouTube channel. So if that says, <laughs> that probably says it all. Um, that is a little chestnut that... Yeah, I have not revisited in a number of years. Well, um, maybe this is something that you remember from your YouTube days. I actually had to look through some of the comments because I myself am a drummer. Um, and throughout the years, I have seen on a lot of uh, YouTube videos with female drum covers especially, a lot of weird comments. A lot of weird comments, correct. Calling you, who I when I assumed that you were underage at the time, sexy. Yes. You were also labeled a bad drummer yep. <laughs> um, many times as well. How do you remember sort of tackling those comments or even taking them on as feedback? And what do you think about those comments looking back on them now? I think being young and, you know, having <laughs> uploaded my first videos to YouTube, um, which my family would always play constantly. Like I'd go back to New Zealand and <laughs> they'd have it like hooked up to their flat screen, yes. like just playing yes. all these covers on loop. Um, I think... I was back then happy to get any comments, which is a terrible thing, uh, looking back. Um, so you saw the sexy comments and you were like, yeah, I'm sexy. <laughs> sexy comments. I was like, yeah, damn straight. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a little, yeah, no, definitely weird. 15 years old. But my ego, my ego was <laughs> still pumped <laughs> in some way. Um, I think someone asked me to marry them via YouTube con- comments. So wow. that was, yeah, so special. <laughs> I see, I see you turned them down, of course. Turned them down. Simply simply didn't engage. Uh, I don't think I ever engaged with, with any comments. But then you'd get a couple that were like, oh, tighten your ride symbol or, you know, learn how to hit harder. Yep. And I was just like, yep. I was like, even even 15-year-old me was like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> don't talk to me like that. I and I think see those, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just had no, no time for that. Oh, um, good. 
I'm all I, I love taking on feedback, but I think those sort of comments, I was just like, oh, shut was up. Was that the uh, was that the first time that you were exposed to criticism in any musical venture? Uh, apart from my mum, yeah. Oh <laughs> no, tell me about your mum. I want to hear this. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. Mum is is so supportive all the time. Um, but what? Just one of those mothers who um is never afraid to be honest and give me <laughs> feedback along the way. Um, good, good, great. Do you have a close it. relationship with your mother? Do you like her? Very close, very close. She actually, oh, um, her and my dad came to visit two weeks ago. Um, oh, nice. From New Zealand, which was very special. I hadn't seen them in about a year and a half. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was very special. They would have had to isolate and everything. They didn't purely because they would be, they were going on their way up to Singapore. So, oh. um, they had some – it was just as Auckland turned green yep. and they got on the next flight pretty much um, and came to see me. Oh, nice. Which was so weird and I didn't believe it until they were actually here, you know. <laughs> I was like, something's <laughs> going to happen. Something has to happen. Yeah. Um, but, no, they arrived. They arrived at Tullamarine. Great. Cried my eyes out. <laughs> um, it was a beautiful, beautiful occasion. And then we just, like, ate for yes. five days straight. Yes. Ate and drank. What's so. the? Uh, what are the go-to places to take your parents when they come over? They – have, you know, they eat a lot of different Asian cuisines in in Singapore, so I always like to take them to just a nice pub oh, when yeah. they come to when they a nice cozy pub when they come down to uh, down to Australia. Nice. But um, look, Marquis of Lawn oh, yeah. always a always a favourite. Um, beautiful meals, beautiful wine. So I'm based based in Collingwood, so oh, you know yes. plenty plenty of options around here. Have they ever watched you DJ? <laughs> One time when my dad was visiting uh, visiting through Melbourne, he we went out for dinner and I said, look, Dad, this is, I think, one of my first, I'd say in my first five gigs ever, was at Carlton Club. Yes. <laughs> the Carlton bless, Club. Bless. So many memories. Uh, and I said, look, Dad, why don't you, if you want to come along, you know, totally fine. I, I think I was just going with a friend. So I was like, come, come along. You can hang out with them in the crowd. You know, a casual... 1 to 3 a.m. <laughs> gig. And he was like, oh, all right. We'll, oh, yes. you know, we'll give it a, we'll give it a go. Yes. And I was like, yes. Um, I think he lasted about 20 minutes <laughs> before he felt like a creepy old man standing in the corner and showed himself out. And I was like, you know what? You should have stayed. You should have stayed. Oh, look. <laughs> at, least, at least he came. At least he came. That's a lot more exactly. that, than you can say for a lot of parents. So That's it. You know, That's it. Well done, Dad. Well done, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> I, I want to actually talk to you about New Zealand. Yes. Uh, so you were born and raised in New Zealand. Uh, which part of New Zealand were you born in? I was actually, so I only really spent the first three years of my life in New Zealand. Um, I, mm -hmm. though I went back maybe two to three times a year. So, uh, it sort of felt like I was raised there in a sense, nice. but very, very, um, spiritually linked to, to my home. So I was actually born in Auckland, um, and my my mother's from far up north, uh, in a little town called Tako. Oh, and it's wow. um Yeah, yeah, very close to the Cape. Um, nice. And pretty much everyone everyone in that town I'm related to. So my grandpa always used to what? His, his yeah, his fa all, all they were all cousins. Wow. Um so <laughs> one of my grandpa's favourite jokes was, you know, don't meet anyone because you you're probably related to them. <laughs> Um, do you mean so everyone loved that one? Do you mean do you mean like related as in like the sort of Kiwi definition of like Fano or like actually like blood related? It's beyond Fano, like blood. Wow! <laughs> like it was a lot of cousins, a lot of so that's 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 my my ancestry right there is in Tagal. Wow. So you know we have the Marae set up yes. there. Um, nice. Um, so yeah, very linked to it in that sense, uh, and always need to make sure I'm going back just to clear my head and, um, you know, catch up with old Fano that I haven't seen in a very long time. And How did your mum and dad meet? Do you know the story? I do know the story. Um, they met at Otago in Dunedin, um, Otago Uni. Nice. I'm trying to remember the story my mum told For me. For context, Otago is a classic piss-up university, so uh, <laughs> and George's parents, you know what they're up to. Just you know getting drunk. <laughs> my, sister, my sister actually just started at Otago like – couple of weeks ago yes excellent. <laughs> my younger sister so um i'm checking in on her frequently i mean i'm gonna show up unannounced one day good at good. her flat um so i think my parents met um this is how mum recalls it mm -hmm. they walk into a flat party my everyone's socializing like everyone my dad is 
plonked on the couch watching a rugby game, watching the All Blacks, I assume, or maybe the Highlanders. And one of his friends apparently comes over and, like, just dunks a bag of potatoes on his head. Like, what? like raw potatoes. Just, like, goes, get up and socialise. <laughs> and my mum sees him, feels sorry for him, falls in love with him. A simple love story. <laughs> She fell in love with the man who was slapped with a bag of potatoes. I know, honestly. How romantic. That's That's, nice. that's true love. That is true love. Have, uh, have you met your person who's been uh, slapped with a bag of potatoes yet? Look, she hasn't been slapped with a bag of potatoes, but maybe one day if I get <laughs> upset enough, I'll lose my patience. <laughs> I want to talk to you about your friendship with one of the other stalwarts. DJ Sarah. Yes. You've run the DJ club uh, with her where you ran a workshop to teach female and GNC people to uh, learn how to DJ both on vinyl and uh, on CDJs as well. So are you are you like best friends with Sarah? I mean, I've seen- Oh, she's a very, very dear friend. She's one of those friends that I will have for the rest of my life and, um, you know, love to party with her, love to talk business with her. Yes. It's, it's one of those relationships um, that I think no matter where we are, we'll always have that same relationship, which is a beautiful thing. Um, started DJing with Sarah years and years and years ago at- um, when we did a DJ course at RMIT oh, together, nice, nice. <laughs> um, which was beautiful. Love at first sight. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, loved each other's music mm-hmm. um, and thought, well, let's try and get some gigs together. Sarah, having, you know, amazing networking skills, mm. managed to get us a couple of gigs and I was sort of, you know, on the tail code of that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we shared those really special, like, first experiences um, yes. in in Nam's DJ scene together. Do you remember how you first met? Do you remember the story? I think – so we had to do – I hope I got – I hope – if Sarah's listening, I hope I've got this right. Um, <laughs> we had to present to the class our, like, top five electronic songs. Um, which was so threatening, actually, now that I think about it. Just very it. exposing, isn't it? So intense to a group of, like, 12 people. What were yours? I – I I honestly can't even tell you. I think I had like a floating points track in there and like a, I think maybe even like a Centromain track in there. Lovely, Um, lovely. Nice. But I'll never forget someone in the class pulling out 212 by Zelia Banks. Oh, and I was like, oh my God, you're my favourite. You can't hate um, on that. That's classic stuff. That's classic. That's classic. And my favourite part was as that person played that song, like they played the whole song (laughs) and the class was just like every, like, Like, yeah, the whole song. And we were all just, like, sitting there in, like, a a light, you know, sterile lit room at RMIT. Just trying to be very respectable when inside you just want to get up and just wreck the room. At, like, 11.30 a.m. on a Tuesday. Um, So that was one of the special moments, yeah, from that that course. Um, But then I remember Sarah coming coming up to me afterwards and being like, oh, loved your songs. (laughs) And I, I think I'd... I don't know, been sick for her presentation or something like that. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. remember. But um, but yeah, no, we we immediately sort of sort of bonded. Oh, that's um, nice. Uh, a lot of things sort of happened from there. Yeah, um, which is really cool. And Sarah's, I think, one of those people that I always come back and connect to for different projects, and um, you know, she's always there for great advice. And I hope you're listening, Sarah. Very nice things <laughs> being said. DJ, DJ Sarah, Sarah, if you're listening right now, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Uh, to what is going to be an expose into uh, your relationship with Georgia. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, no, um, can you, I mean, you said that you experienced a lot of firsts in the music industry with Sarah. Mm. Uh, do you have any crazy stories uh, regarding any firsts that were happening at the time? Maybe at gigs, maybe with booking, maybe with mixing, producing. Our first gig ever was on the rooftop of RMIT for someone's like, someone's event and we played like a 10 minute set and it felt like an hour (laughs) (laughs) we had a house party to go to and we had been asked to dj at this house party so we didn't have any decks obviously who's gonna fork out that much for a set of cdjs yeah of course um (laughs) um, so we asked our the coordinator of the course at the time whether we could borrow rmit's um equipment Mm -hmm. which you know very nice of him he said yes um, so we lugged it onto the tram, went to this house party, played this party. The night got away from us, you know, mm-hmm. and we went to return them the next day. And without sort of looking back in the DJ coffin, 
Um, oh, no. Got it, screwed everything on, got back on the tram, took it to uni. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we just get an email from uh, Ed Montano, who was running this course at the time. <laughs> and he just wrote a one-liner email. And he just said, what the fuck? There is glitter. <laughs> there is glitter all through these decks. Yes. <laughs> Please bring a vacuum cleaner to uni and vacuum them oh out. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and then I think, yeah, I think Sarah took that one. Bless her. I mean, look, that glitter is never getting out of those decks. She ho- hopped on the tram with a vacuum cleaner straight to uni, and um, <laughs> and w- we were all good after that. Wow. Yeah, okay. so that was definitely a, definitely a story to tell. What do you think about the affordability of CDJs? Because we were touching on that just before. Even secondhand, right, can go for anywhere between, you know, $3,000 to $6,000. What do you think about that particular price point? Do you think that there is justification behind that higher price point? Or do you think that it should be lowered to allow accessibility for a lot of people to be able to use these things? Yeah, it's an interesting one because there's that massive jump between, you know, buying a controller to hook up to your laptop um, and, you know, buying the the actual players um, themselves and a mixer, um, mm. which I've never really been able to understand um, because I know that there's not a huge, you know, jump in the functionality. Obviously, you've got standalone decks, um, which is huge, and that it's hard because they've become labelled this industry standard, mm-hmm. um, meaning that anyone looks down on someone with, like, a controller or, like, a – you know, I, I literally, like, I, I, I've only used my controller for the last however long. I've got some turntables as well that I picked up secondhand um, and it has been absolutely fine. So when we started doing this DJ course, um, sorry, when we started running DJ club, the first thing we said was just like, don't fork out. You don't need to. I mean, every venue has them, I guess. Every venue has them, but they've got them there for you. So just, you know, make sure you know how to use them and you'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah. But in terms of practice and recording mixes, you really, really don't need much. Like I'm a big fan of having a pretty lo-fi setup where I can. Um, and I actually just bought some XDJ RX2s, I think they're called. Lovely. How have you been finding them? They're great. They're literally fine. You can plug USB straight into them. It's like nice. very standalone. You can take them to parties. Nice. Um, and they're pretty reasonably priced. You it's know? a nice compromise between an actual like full CDJ setup with like a controller setup, I suppose. Yeah, totally. It's somewhere, somewhere sort of meeting in the middle, um, which is something I've been looking for for a really long time is that sort of middle ground. Because even though I, you know, felt this pressure to buy CDJs for so long because I was, you know, starting to move a little bit, um, with my DJ career, I yeah, just still couldn't justify it really. Really, even even now, I mean, you're playing untitled gigs, you know, big <laughs> sellout like XE fifty four gigs, and still can't justify it. I just still like these these decks that I have behind me right now. Uh, <laughs> honestly, they do the trick. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, so no, very happy with that. Well, let's talk about your DJ career because uh, you've opened up for artists like Harvey Sutherland, Kiara Kickdrum, Harrison BDP, and now. Ben UFO. By the way, big announcement. Uh, Baby G is opening up for Ben UFO, playing at the Timber Yard, I think. Playing at the Timber Yard, yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, how does that feel? That must be amazing. Very freshly announced. Um, good timing. Mm. Um, look, I'm so excited to be on that lineup. I think um, I'm Untitled have done a really good job of getting that lineup together um, for a number of reasons. Uh, mm. But it's personally always been a dream for me to. Be able to line up with Seafrim, um, oh, which I'm yeah. actually really, really excited about because I'm a massive fan of Seafrim. Um, nice, nice. All of the sets that I've seen live have been, yeah, incredible. Let's uh, let's talk about that. The fact that Untitled have done a good job with this particular lineup because I remember that there was, and I've mentioned this before mm. in a couple of previous interviews, but Floss Dog mm. from The Whip Project. Floss Dog recently came out with a particular set of Instagram stories um, talking about the diversity required in lineups, especially for, uh, against rather, all male, especially all white male lineups as well. I do remember one particular gig was also in the spotlight in that particular story uh, sequence, Mm. and that was the Untitled gig with Party Boy 69 headlining. Does that have anything to do with why you think this lineup has been particularly good this time? Because there is a bit more diversity in this lineup. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's it comes. You, you have to keep up with what's happening in the industry. Um, it's been you know a, lo- a lot of people have been fighting for a really, really, really long time um, for these sort of things, and I think mm. 
Um, it's just so nice to, to start seeing it sort of be reflected in lineups. Um, obviously still so, so far to go. Um, yeah. With a lot of venues and, and, and a lot of different sort of labels and companies. But, mm. um, but yeah, it's, it is really, really refreshing to just see just – it. it just makes for a, a just a better, far more colourful lineup. Yeah. Like it's, it just gets really mundane and boring. And even you know people associated with that label constantly booking themselves or people mm. booking themselves at their own venues. Yep. Um, <laughs> I say that, but I've got a couple of gaso gigs coming up. <laughs> but I didn't book them. I swear. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> doesn't check out doesn't. Um, I mean you have final say don't you I just yeah I, 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 I approve it exposed <laughs> exposed it's a big expose um, no look I think it, there's really no excuses anymore for those sort of lineups um, yeah. whether it be even even all white lineups um, yeah. regardless of, but like you can't tap into um, particular minorities you know you need to be completely across the board yeah. um, so something um, recently sort of happened with me in a venue I'm not going to say who um, you know but, who you, you are know, I, you know <laughs> who, who you are we're just calling you out right now <laughs> um, you know I got asked if I wanted to play one of their sort of bigger nights and do love the venue and have a lot of respect for that venue. Um, but I got, I asked for the lineup, which is one thing that's actually quite hard to do. And I know that everyone's on their own journey with asking about lineups because a lot of people are scared of missing opportunities, which is totally valid. Right. Um, when I received that lineup, it was, I was, it was just white males and I was the only female on there. And it right. was just like, come on. Another token female slot. I was like, come on, that's, that's bullshit. Um, yeah. got in touch with them and, um, they, you know, took it on and um, gave me a revised lineup, and it was just like adding one more, adding a white female onto it, and I was just like, it's just, yeah, it doesn't cut it. Um, when you've got, you know, resources yeah. at your doorstep that have been such hard work's been poured into these resources like whip, yeah, that you can't just, you know, try. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> Yeah, so I just find it super, yeah, super lazy, really, at the end of the day. Have you had a lot of good opportunities like that come up where you have had to reject it out of your moral principle? I would say mostly in the last year. Yeah. Um, I've sort of stood up and, you know, stood up for myself a little bit and stood up for, for those minority groups. And um, I think it's a really scary thing to do. And I know that it's scary for I'm having a lot of conversations with a lot of other DJs who are, who are sort of starting out or... Um, in also in my position as well. Mm. And it's a really confronting thing to do to, to pull out of a gig. Um, and so, and, and even to call someone out, I think is a really, really brave thing to do. Yeah. Um, but I know, yeah, again, like I appreciate everyone's on their own journey. It's really hard at the end of the day. Like artists have the least say in a lot of these things. Yeah, they, they really do. I think it, a lot, it, it really comes down to a booker mm. or whoever is approving that and ticking it off, like really needs to stand up and say something. I don't, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's amazing when artists do stand up, but I don't. I think that's a huge weight on their shoulders um, when that should have been dealt with yeah. prior to. So it's a lot of work to go. I mean, being a booker yourself, I'm assuming that you have uh, some intel on um, other bookers in the uh, scene as well. Who are your favourites? Who do you think is doing a really good job? Look, I work with um, Juliet at the retreat, who also does Grampians Music Festival, um, and she is yeah, just incredible. I think she's one of the most amazing bookers. Um, just very on top of it, very good listener. Um, nice. So shout outs to you, Juliet, um, <laughs> and putting up with me over the last year. Um, I'd say Benny and Liam are doing a great job um, over at Colour. Oh, yeah. Been, yep. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, a lot of those venues that are associated with the Save Our Scene just had an absolute <laughs> had an absolute year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I know I'm missing some very important people. Um, oh, no, look, I mean, the ones that first come to your mind are usually – the ones that stand out the most, so that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Let's um, let's take a bit of a turn because yes. we have been talking about a couple of serious things, but I do want to ask you some different questions for me to be able to understand and for the audience to be able to understand as well who you are as a person because we know who you are as a DJ, as a producer, as a drummer, <laughs> um, and as a, a booker on the scene as well, someone who contributes a lot. Uh, let's get to know you as a person. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Oh, God. And, uh, uh, you don't have to answer them at any particular speed, and you don't even have to answer them at all. Okay. You just uh, answer what you want to do, and uh, let's see who actually is Baby G. Stop. So, 
at the party, <laughs> are you the host, the social butterfly, the intense conversationalist, party animal, the boogie machine, or the person in the corner, or someone else entirely? I think I'm about three of those, Jay. Okay, which ones? Which ones are we talking Well, the host, because you are the booker. The host comes out in me, wherever I am, whether I'm with a group of friends, <laughs> make those decisions to, you know, do whatever we're doing. Yep, um, great. What was it? The boogie- The boogie machine. The boogie machine, always. Yes. Always. Can't, yes. can't resist. But weirdly, at the same time, I'll be in the corner of the room. What are you doing in the corner? What? <laughs> <laughs> Having a chat. <laughs> I'd say this is this is my ADHD, like being in three places <laughs> mentally at once. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the longest you've boogied? Uh, do you remember which set, which festival, which club you were at for the longest boogie you've ever been locked into? My mind instantly goes revolver because oh, of course, that's definitely been the longest. But I know there's others. Um, I would say I would say at lounge actually. Oh, lounge! One of their lucid parties. Yes. Yeah. yeah, man, I haven't heard that name in ages. I know, yeah. I know, Rip. Rip. Man. Uh, do you remember um, uh, the Mercat as well? Do you remember yes. those times? Yes, yes, yes. R&P R&P Hugs and Kisses. Hugs and Kisses. Oh, my God. R&P, Hugs and Kisses. So many good venues. Oh, They've just no. got to waste of high, high-rise developments. I know. Terrifying <sighs> stuff. Uh, oh, well. Good answer. Uh, second question. What song has significantly impacted or even changed the course of your life? 212. <laughs> Azealia Banks. <laughs> Honestly. Really? Okay, so Azealia Banks, right? Right. A problematic, but a problematic yep. fave. Like, yep. mm-hmm. um, a queer icon. Yes. <laughs> an icon <laughs> in the queer community that we love to hate. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But I would say some of my best times have been when that's been played at, you know, whether it be like a queer club yep. or like at home with friends yep. or just like in the car with my partner like it's always it's just one of those like songs that just like triggers you to just like i don't know just go wild just go <laughs> just like take brings the brings the crazy out in me um how do you feel about um azalea being problematic how do you reconcile that um enjoying her music. oh you can't <laughs> you, uh, you actually this is the thing it's always it's you know it's such a dilemma <laughs> it's just like <laughs> It hits so hard, but like the, some of the shit that has come out of her mouth that she can never take back <laughs> is just. But it's like a bit of a gag in the I don't know in the queer community. Yeah. I feel as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess that's how you sort of move. <laughs> Not that you'll ever move past it, but um, look, well, I don't know. Do, do you think it's a guilty pleasure, or do you think it's one that you have to wear uh, on your chest, on your sleeve? Rather, <sighs> I think I'd like to think it's a guilty pleasure, but like I play it all the time. <laughs> I'll be like, like, don't play it, don't play it, don't play it, play it. (laughs) Don't, don't do it. (laughs) I remember uh, I did hear it in um, your Triple J mix-up mix. Oh, well, there you go. See? Just couldn't resist. It always finds its way back home. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, good answer. Terrible Um, answer. I regret regret answering. (laughs) Okay. Um, Number three. If you were a character in a movie, book, or television show, what genre would you live in? Are you a comedy person, action person, horror person, maybe even dramedy? I would say I'm a horror person. Ooh. I'd like to say I'm a horror person, but, you know, can't watch one by myself. <laughs> uh, so, which, uh, which horror movie spooked you out the most in your life? I remember watching... Oh, okay. All right. Hereditary. Oh, that is a good one. Yes. Yes. Uh, so that really shook me. I think I was at the Sun Theater in Yarraville, uh, watching that with, um, my partner and my best friend. And there was this person who like threw their popcorn over their shoulder, sitting (laughs) opposite us. Um, (laughs) it was actually really, really scary. It was one of those, I like to say I enjoy horror movies and then, you know, you never really get too much out of them. But this one I left and I was like, oh my God. You're pretty shook. I I am shook. (laughs) (laughs) I'm shook in like the best way but like you know can't sleep tonight sort of thing the, the <laughs> scenes where someone is plastered on the ceiling like in the corner that freaks me out i was just shitting myself and tony collette i'm sorry but she deserved she deserved all the awards in the world she for that shit. absolutely yeah. something i yeah something like that great choice what do you get the most compliments about hmm I'm trying to think of the most honest answer here no please um, do I'm trying to 
I get compliments on my eyes sometimes for being for them being big, but I'm not going to say that. So like, oh, really? I would say that, no. I'd say, no, that's um, nice. That's Having nice big eyes is nice. <gasps> Struggle with these ones. I'm really ones. interested to hear this. I'm really I've got to say, compliments freak me out. Oh, really? They make me feel so weird. Do you, do you struggle to receive them? I struggle to receive them. Wow. I struggle. Um, they, they make me just like curl up into a little ball. Ooh. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It could be a deep-rooted thing. Do you but, just um, not believe like what they're saying about you? Is that is that something that you Yeah, with? totally. Especially if they're nice, like very imposter syndrome-y, a terrible thing. No to way. Have, imposter like. syndrome. Uh, I guess that's something that's really common with us. Yeah. Mm. Even when someone, you know, says great set, I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm totally like, it's so bad. It's something I'm actually really trying to work on at the moment is receiving things like that better. How are you tackling it? Because I used to be a lot worse with this in terms of like receiving compliments. Um, because if we're going to get real here. Yes. Me and Georgia spitting on the mic. Um, <laughs> if we're going to get real, I have a horrible sense of self. In the sense that, like, I don't see myself in a positive light the majority mm. of the time. Mm-hmm. And so, when I receive compliments on things, it goes one of two ways. Either I let that get to my head um, and I become this inflated egomaniac monster. Or um, I can't receive it simply because I keep thinking to myself, that couldn't be true. Mm. Like, there's no way that that set could have been great or that... Um, this particular thing I did is good or this particular trait about me is nice. You know what I mean? Like, do you sort of feel uh, one way or the other? Or Yeah, no, absolutely. Everything you just said absolutely resonates with me. I think um, totally being like, no, that's not true. And um, I think it all comes from a place of just like, yeah, not loving yourself enough, which mm. is, you know, something, totally something that is a, is a valid feeling, I feel. Yeah. And, um, you know, something that I'm definitely working on. Um, but, you know, it's getting yeah, it's getting to the point where I'm going to have to start being okay with, <laughs> with you know, nice words. Um, oh, it's the hardest part. It's yeah. the hardest part, loving yeah. yourself. No, absolutely. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We just got to believe. I'm trying to think of something else that so, – okay, people always say I smell nice. I don't know. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's a compliment. Do you, do you wear a particular perfume or is it just your natural – scent um look been on that asop lately oh, so i've got yes. to say yes so <laughs> luxury sounds, sounds so wanky but no, um, that's cool What's you your... know what you gotta stay fresh you gotta that, stay fresh that's right that's right what are, what particular fragrances do you go for at asop look i'm a i'm a i'm loyal to marrakesh oh. um oh. <laughs> chef kiss i honestly I don't. I wouldn't even say it's a you know perfume. I feel like I just spray it in my room. Yep. Like it helps me go to sleep. Like, <laughs> you know, as those. So I just spray it on me and make myself feel better, pretty much. Do you um, have a um, a bedtime ritual? Something like there are particular things that you need to do, and if you don't do them, you can't have a good night's sleep. <sighs> One thing I hate is always need to do a little late night scroll oh. or Google all of the questions that I had in my head. For that day. That's deadly. That's deadly. deadly. I go yeah. down so many holes, I can't tell you. Like, <laughs> I, the other night I had to get up early for something, a very important something, uh-huh. and I spent the better side of two hours researching, no. <laughs> reading up all about Stevie Nicks' cocaine addiction. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, went so deep. Um, what can you tell us about? Stevie's cocaine addiction. I have nothing to show for it. I know what? that her, she started getting some like cosmetic sort of wear uh-huh. on her nose, <laughs> and I was like, "Ooh, um, the septum's disappearing." Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look, I, I wish I had some more valuable insights here, but it was purely a waste of time. So oh, that's a shame. <laughs> Would have liked to have had a bit of trivia on that. Okay. Now, question number five: What's one thing you've made? that you're most proud of finally getting a song yes i know it seems like a very obvious um but that was a real journey (laughs) to get that one out there for me why is that i'd been sort of producing or writing music for a really long time before not a really long time like a couple of years and like Mm. doing little projects for friends that were like you know composing for their films or like um for for whatever which that's the sort of stuff that i love but like i was like no i want to do something for me mm. um that's you know representative of the sort of music i like and play and um it was particularly interesting i think because it was through the lockdown period um bless ingrid for you know uh, from love above mm-hmm. for um 
for pushing me along. Yeah. Um, because it's really hard to be with a piece of music for so long um, and just let it sit there without touching it. And yeah, it can go either way. And I ended up tampering with it a mm. little bit and it went, it went in a better way. So I'm pretty <laughs> happy about that. But no, I think in, yeah, all gags behind, I think it's, um, it was a big step for me. And then to hear, I guess that like on some of my radio, favorite radio stations, mm. um, full yeah. circle. I remember that. Yeah, full full circle. Um, local and or general JS on Triple R was a real like wow sort of moment. So that's and it you know you can't say no to that compliment. That's of like not. Yeah. I mean you can't feel weird about that. That's that's something that's like uh, any any production of music that you've done. It's just something that comes truly. I mean, I didn't really hear a lot of samples in it as well. So like that's really organically coming from your soul. And so like if someone is giving you a compliment on it, giving you radio play on it, giving you love. Like, that feels amazing. That's amazing. You know? It's like, it's like real. It's so like such a like tangible thing as well. Like it's, um, yeah. So no, very happy with that. Excellent. But hopefully more to come in that space. We'll see. I've really enjoyed in your mix that you've made here for us for Area 3000. Thank you so much for that. It's been awesome. I've really enjoyed uh, the percussive elements in it. The, the the fact that you've been with drums for such a long time really shows in your mixes. Like you do have such a refined sort of focus on uh, drums. Do you sort of notice that yourself? Like, is that something you look out for? I think so, but I don't know if it's also just yeah. I don't know if I go looking looking for it, but when I'm scrolling through like tracks on Bandcamp or whatever, I think I'm like so drawn to it. I look at my cart, and they're just like all like percussive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn it, Georgia, <laughs> get something new. But no, totally. I think I think it. Um, I really like percussive tracks to like break up a mix. Yeah, and sort of give it a bit of breathing space yeah. because I can't like keep like pounding through a mix if there's not like a nice bit of breathing space. <laughs> I don't know how to articulate that better, but um, yeah, absolutely to do with me being a drummer. Excellent. Um, totally drawn to those sounds. Let's go for a little weird question. Okay. What's the strangest thing you believe in? Do you believe in the supernatural? Heaven? Angels? Ghosts? Luck? Fate? Magic? Mind reading? Lizard people? Illuminati? Where do you draw the line? UFOs. Ooh, that's spicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Like, I think I think more I just want to believe it. Mm-hmm. wouldn't say I, you know, believe it. I just, you know, I, that's, that's one of the Googling holes that I go down all the time. You see that video that they uh, came out with of that recent UFO? Uh, where like I think it was the Air Force that like got the uh, yes yes yeah stuff like that like I'm all over it yes, I love it yes. love like <laughs> it's so bad I'll like sit watching those like BuzzFeed unsolved <laughs> YouTube <laughs> you go to BuzzFeed like, for your unsolved mysteries oh honestly like they have this YouTube channel it's just like BuzzFeed unsolved and it's just like all this crap and like all these like old mysteries that have never been solved and I love that shit excellent excellent that's great. <laughs> All right, let's see. You have one year to live. How do you spend it? What are you doing? These are some huge questions. <laughs> um, what am I doing? I am one year to live. I am mm-hmm. trying every restaurant ever in Melbourne. Fuck like yes. I'm just eating. Fuck yes. I, I can't tell you how much I love food. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 would be your final meal? Your death row meal? I was talking to someone about this the other day. Mm. Um, there's part of me that would just be like, give me a really, really nice bowl of pasta, mm. like a beautiful, beautiful bowl of like lobster ravioli or oh. something like that. Yes. But there's also a part of me that's like, just give me like an extra large chips. <laughs> I'd be so happy. <laughs> Are we talking like shoestring, junky? Honestly, if we could get like a trio, if we could get like waffle fries, oh. French fries oh. and those thick ones, yes. I think I'd be, I'd be happy. Wow. Um, Nice, nice. <laughs> um, other than that, like I'd say, like a very spicy curry or a really nice laksa. That's my, those are my, those are my top four picks. What's for dessert? <laughs> What's for dessert? See, I'm not a big sweet tooth. Ooh, okay. So I'd probably just ask for extra of whatever I had. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite beverage? <laughs> Favorite beverage. Um, look, love an iced tea. Mm, um, peach, lemon. What are we talking? Definitely a lemon, a lemon kind of person. Oh, yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Other than that, maybe like a very, very crisp lager. <laughs> like very, very cold. As your, very crisp. As your last drink, just 
Down the like I see, I see. Yeah, um, like they show it in the ads. It'd probably be if I was on death row. I'd probably be smarter to have an alcoholic beverage. <laughs> so maybe, maybe just a really nice nutty yeah. wine. Who knows? All right, nice, good answer, good answer. Um, what character trait instantly makes you respect someone? Listening, mm. a good listener. Mm. There's nothing worse than when you're having even like being at a club doesn't excuse you, but like. <laughs> Be in a conversation and someone will just be like completely wandering off and like only zone in when you're talking about them. So yeah. like having someone that can listen to you um, mm. is such an important trait yep. in like friends, relationships and like everything. And anyone I'm interacting with, like I instantly spark when when I can tell they're engaging in a conversation. Do you find that more or less in your professional endeavors? I guess a bit of a mix. Um, like there are some people who I want to sit down and talk to for ages, but like are obviously very preoccupied. Yeah. Um, I also understand that people like me who have ADHD, like a mind wanders very easily. Mm. Um, yeah. So I don't know, I guess a bit of a mix, um, particularly within like the music industry, if that's what you mean. Yeah. Um, you'll get some confl- people who just like won't give you the time of the day. Mm. Um, but then you'll get, you know, those people who are just like super, super honed into you yeah. know, the conversation that you're having, which is beautiful. And that does happen. You just mentioned twice in this interview that uh, about your ADHD. Has this been something that's, like, affected you a lot um, in your life? So I was diagnosed with it when I was 14, maybe 13, and I wasn't really aware of or what I'm try- What I'm starting to uncover now is the sort of links between ADHD and other um, things like anxiety, depression, mm. um, all of that stuff, and it's just something that I never, like, at school had no one to talk to about that yeah. or no one really, like, you know, I got that diagnosis and then that was sort of that and I you know got given some Ritalin oh right um, <laughs> yeah, yeah and that that was like the way to deal with it yeah and it was, yeah like it didn't have a very good sort of social impact and um now I'm starting to identify those sort of connections and and what triggers them and um I'm lucky that I only have it quite mildly because I know it can be completely debilitating for others. Mm, yeah. My mind totally wanders and I find it hard to, you know, focus on one thing. How, how long were you on the Ritalin for? Through the rest of my high school years. So from, yeah, I'd say 14 to 17. What was that like, like living on Ritalin? Yeah, it was It was weird because it became like an everyday thing. Like that's what I got sort of prescribed. Mm. And um, I think it had huge negative impacts on my levels of creativity mm like my socializing I totally like I had lost my like fun edge or lost my like crazy edge it just made me super like yeah honed in on my work and like just stopped caring about you know doing things outside of school and um yeah which like which is why I got off that as soon as I finished school like I was like no no more I don't need this if you could go back in time would you not do it I think I would not not live on it like you just said like I wouldn't I wouldn't I would take it only when I really really felt like I needed it and not incorporate it into like my life like a you know like an everyday supplement to take you know like a um I would say I definitely didn't need to be taking it every day only on those days that I felt completely detached from the classroom um, yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one that I'm actually sort of unpacking at the moment. Um, what are you learning about it? Like, because you said there were some links to like anxiety and depression. Um, what are you learning about it in relation to yourself? Into myself, it's just um, as sort of time went on. Yeah, I, I, I think I left the topic alone for a really long time and really lost touch with myself in that time. Um, and so I feel like I've lost that sort of like yeah self love and, and that confidence, um, yeah. which. I was speaking to um, yeah. a person, a, a person in Singapore who um, she's a doctor and she's yeah amazing at what she does. She's got many, many different um, big, big achievements um, in that area. But she specialises in children with ADHD. And oh, nice! She's writing a, um, a thesis for another sort of project at the moment, and she's she reached out to me and sort of made me unpack all of those things that I went through in high school, wow. and which is super interesting, super confronting, but mm. you know, a great thing to do. And I knew it was going towards you know bringing that education uh, into school systems and and whatnot in Singapore. Um, so definitely for a good cause as well. Is that like revisiting trauma almost? Almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, trauma is a big word, but I would say. Um, definitely I unpacked some things that I had packed very deeply uh, away, yes. <laughs> um, which is, you know, totally fine. Mm-hmm. 
totally fine. Like it didn't, you know, trigger me in any sense, okay. but I think uh, it made me very conscious that I should be taking actions to look after that now. Yeah. Um, so it was a very real eye opener in that sense. And I think when you're working in the music industry as well, you're dealing with these, a lot of curveballs yeah. <laughs> um, all the time and a lot of inconsistencies and, uh, like as an example, my sort of setup at the moment is I can work from home when I sort of feel and go on when I feel. So there's that lack of structure and routine mm. that I think I so desperately need yeah. um, <laughs> that you sort of get lost mentally. No, Snape, thank you for um, divulging uh, me in that because it's um, – yeah. I've never really actually asked anybody what it's like to live with ADHD, so it's actually really interesting to hear that. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what happens in the next few years and or next, next – yeah couple of decades i guess um in terms of the awareness around it yeah and, um you know just having more support and more uh resources available yeah because it's often kicked off into this sort of pile of you just know. throw some riddling at it and they'll and the kid will be fine yeah literally like like just medicate them they'll you know they'll be fine it's yeah a pretty archaic way of thinking um but yeah what's something you've done felt or seen that you wish you could experience again for the very first time i'd say pitch Pitch Music Festival it was a very special yeah. one. Very, very special one. Which year? Uh, this was last year. So the last, yeah, like right before COVID. It was actually my last gig before before COVID hit. Um, the last hurrah. The last hurrah, um, which yeah. was very special. Uh, but but no one knew it. <laughs> like, yeah. No one had any idea. And COVID was just like creeping up like, haha. Well, I mean, it was well spent because I'd gotten reviews from other people that it was most likely one of if not the best pitch mm. out of all the ones they've run so yeah far. yeah for sure i definitely heard that as well i actually hadn't been to a pitch before that which i had been but um being surrounded by the artists on that lineup and like playing before birdie one of my favorites and playing before like memphis lk who was yeah. like that really hit that live satisfaction for yeah. me um it was so special and having having my partner there and it was just a very like beautiful environment to be in and you just felt very safe. Yeah. It was yeah, a great time which I wish and I hope I can relive <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Um, what does your partner do when they're watching you on stage, uh, dancing or like just screaming? Like what, what, what's happening? Um, Taking videos? A lot of, a lot of videos, a lot of videos at my request. Yes. Support. (laughs) Yes. No, she, I feel like I asked her to come, for her to come to a lot of shows and I know that, you know, Mm. she has to get early, up up early in the morning sometimes for a, for a speech pathology job. Um, so I do feel bad sometimes dragging her out to gigs, but. She always ends up having a good a good time and she'll never admit it, but she always has a really good time. And so I think also to watch her enjoying herself so much at Pitch, hanging out with some of our favourite artists, um, yes. that made me even happier <laughs> in turn. I was like, ha you're having a good time. <laughs> how does – sorry, how do you – support her in whatever she does with her life i think just just being there i think one thing that's really uh that we've got in common is that family is like number one yes. um so her background is uh chilean and italian mm. and mine being you know moldy and lebanese like it's very like big <laughs> like you know yeah, big yeah, family big ties um, so I think being just like spending time together and, yeah. um, making that time is super important and, um, mm. you know, coming home at the end of the night and, um, just hanging out all day, watching movies the next day, yeah. you know, doing things for each other's family, being there for each other's family. Um, Christmas must be amazing for you guys <laughs> because you've got Maori food, Lebanese food, Chilean food, Italian food. You've got everything. Honestly, yes. And she, uh, her family have been kind enough to sort of take me in oh, for the last little while. Yes. Well, you know, I haven't been able to see my family. And i got to say, can't complain about the food God. at all. It's always Damn. it's always incredible. It's better better than a restaurant. Oh, yes. I'm <laughs> Such a nice. Very jealous. Yeah. That is amazing. There's always a spread on the table. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up with the last question and then I'll let you go. I won't torture you with my questions anymore. No, no, no. Baby G, Georgia, what do you love most about yourself? We were talking a lot about self-love and we've been struggling with it, both you and I. But there's got to be something. There's got to be something in there. There's got to be something. That we truly do see in ourselves. What is it? I think you should go first. Oh, okay. All right, all right, all right. So, uh, what do I love most about myself? Um it's actually the thing that I hate most about myself as well. Mm-hmm. And it's my passion in the sense that um, if there is something that I am interested in or that I love, I 
will go very hard at it. And the issue is, is that it's great because for me, that means that I work on that thing relentlessly and I learn everything about it and I try and become the, you know, at the very least, the best version of myself within that particular sphere of whatever it is that I am passionate about. For example, music. Like, I have loved this thing forever. Um, but the thing that I h- hate about it as well is that it kind of makes me blind to things in the sense that, like, I will prioritize this particular thing that I'm passionate about over other things mm. or um, that it will potentially damage my relationships with people because it's something that I'm just so focused in on. Totally. Um, and that I can't give someone that most likely deserves all my love and attention the time of day. Yeah. And that's ruining for for me. And it's something that I've sort of been like trying to balance um, because I do really love that part of myself, even if it is damaging at times. But it's going to be a lifelong battle. Yes, it it's, will be. It, it's not something that's fixed overnight, you know? No. So that's what I love most about myself. Yeah, that's amazing. I do, uh, yeah, can absolutely relate with that, um, for sure. It's just that constant, like, it's a, it is a battle. It's yes. an internal battle um, that's, that you're always going to be fighting. Yeah. It's not necessarily a bad thing. No, that's true. That's true. Um, I, look, I would say it's funny how I said my favorite trait about someone was being a good listener, but I think, <laughs> like, that's what I like about myself yeah. is, that I, is that, which is also, it's hard because I, I'm a good listener. Um and I've, you know, really sort of engage with people and um, mm. like to hear everything they have to say and become a part of that sort of story. But at the same time, that can be really draining yeah. to take. I really take, I really absorb other people's emotions. So, it's, Are you an empath? I'm a, a Pisces, so oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I carry the weight on my oh, emotions. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely a gift and a curse. Um, and I know it's something that other people really appreciate, uh, but it's knowing when to sort of, or knowing how to separate yourself from that and not not take it all in. Are you an um, introvert or an extrovert? See, this is what I'm trying to figure out. I think I am more of an introvert than I thought I was. Uh-huh. Um, I thought I was far more an extrovert. Right. Uh, and as time went on, um, particularly through COVID, I was like, oh, shit, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm far more introverted than I thought I was. Uh-huh. Uh, I really like my my quiet time and yeah. uh and i know that's not exactly what being introverted means yeah. but uh but it's definitely one of the things that yeah i think I've, I've started uh liking being by myself a little bit more and being in my own head mm. uh not all the time obviously mm. but uh learning to be more comfortable in my own company and i think as i begin to <laughs> sort of accept that um yeah i think i am a, bit, a little bit more introverted than i thought i was does your partner does she at least give you a bit of a um a relief from all that weight that you carry. Absolutely, um, yeah. Even if it's a little bit, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, she knows exactly what to say to take that to take that stress away, uh, which is a really, really beautiful thing. Nice. I'm um, very lucky to have that. Uh, has you know a Capricorn, so mm. very, very logistic, very um, very grounded. Yeah, very grounded, very uh, literal. <laughs> gotta, very, gotta love the earth signs, gotta love them. Yeah, love them. Brutal, but we love them. Um, <laughs> so exactly what I need. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, good. Well, Georgia, thank you so much for joining me here on the show and for giving your time and your mix as well, which I'm very much looking forward to spinning right here because I've been rinsing this thing. And I say this for all of my guests, but no, truly, I, I do always do this. I have been rinsing this mix mm. um, on my drives to work in and out, and I have been very much enjoying it, especially that first half with all that percussion. Oh, thank you yes. so much. Very kind. Thank you so much for making that. Um, and thank you also for coming onto the show. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Absolutely have. You've made it very, very comfortable and a very safe space to talk. And um, I love what you're doing. And yeah, really appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you so much. And uh, for all the listeners out there, if you haven't heard Baby G's release with Love Above Records, Bot Energy, please do. I implore you. It is a wonderful track that I think will go very well in a lot of your sets coming up this winter period. Um, also, be sure to check out her mixes that are currently up on her SoundCloud, especially her Triple J mix-up, because god damn, that is a heater. Thank you so much once again. Keep doing what you're doing, contributing so much to this scene, and I think everybody that has anything to do with this industry very much knows about you, what you do, and appreciates it to the bottom of their heart. So thank you so much once again. Thanks so much, Jay. Um, And yeah, you've been listening to Spinning Around.
with Hyla Minogue on Area 3000, playing Baby G now. <laughs> 